When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 282, and we are recording on May 18th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Yes, we are. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Musical intro. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, don't have banter today. Media, I think we wasted all of our we wasted all of our banter before we started recording talking about the CDC and masks. And yes, stuff, so. right. We are like <laughs> we are, yes. we are out of banter now. Yeah, we we, we used it all up, and nobody wants to hear about that. On nobody this show, wants I don't to think. hear about so that. So we're not going to no. talk about that. Okay, I will say here's here's a highlight oh, mm-hmm. from my recent life. I got to sit outside on a hill and eat cheese with friends this weekend, eat and that cheese was with friends amazing. That's so good. <laughs> That's so good. I got a time hop today that apparently three years ago today, I put a Facebook message up that said, driver, roll up the partition, please. I don't want you to see me eat all this cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Where I was, I guess, rewriting Beyonce to be about cheese. (laughs) As is only correct. I think that's that's great, Amanda. That's That's what time hop is for. That is what Time Hop is for. And I did recently on Instagram rewrite all of Seven Rings to be about vaccinations. I was just going to say, this is your wheelhouse right this here. This is my like... superpower, is rewriting pop songs to be about completely unrelated, <laughs> ridiculous nonsense. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. A, a plus. A plus. Thank you. All right. Well, okay. We've Now we've officially completed the banter section of the show. <laughs> Let's talk about how this show works. It is, as we said, a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you can send in your requests for a reading rec, and we might answer it. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the forum that's at the bottom of the show notes over on Book Riot uh, for each episode. And it can be for you. Maybe there's like a type of book you love. You're having trouble finding a new one in that genre. Maybe it's for a book club or a friend or relative or you're traveling and want to know more about a place or whatever. Uh, You can send those in. If you are hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form and the date that you're hoping to hear back by so that we will try to get to it on time. But if we think we're not going to answer it on air, we might shoot you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. All right. Speaking of emails that we got, everybody has Mm -hmm. suggestions about that reading the 50 states challenge that uh, our previous asker is doing. So we have a lot of recommendations for this. Elizabeth wrote in with for Missouri Stoner by John Williams. For Mississippi, Jasmine Ward uh, writes beautiful literary fiction, including Salvage the Bones and Sing Unburied Sing. 
For Montana, this might be a little on the nose, but Montana mm-hmm. 1948 by Larry Watson would fit the bill. And for Nebraska, maybe My Antonia by Willa Cather. Uh, let's see. Also, more state recommendations from Wendy. Uh, Missouri, the most obvious is Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. A really underrated read is White Palace by Glenn Sabin. He perfectly captured St. Louis, and it's also a great story, much better than the movie. There we go. Uh, Kate also has state feedback. (laughs) Michigan, virgin suicides and or middle sex, only partly Michigan. Rhode Island marriage plot, yep, all my wrecks are eugenities. (laughs) And then Kelly wrote in for also Missouri, Guilty Pleasures by Laurel K. Hamilton is the first in an urban fantasy series set in St. Louis. I forgot that those were set in St. Louis. Uh, elements of horror and gore, and the series as a whole has a reputation for sexual content, but that's later. (laughs) Indeed. Don't (laughs) worry about it for now. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, everybody's super into this 50 states thing. That's kind Mm -hmm. of amazing. So thank you all for weighing in on that. All right, Amanda, will you read our first question? All right. Our first question is from Morellis, who says, I'm going through a very difficult time personally and have a big period of downtime coming up soon. I need something to read that will not make me feel worse than I already do. I would love an uplifting or hopeful book that features a woman, preferably single, who achieves her lifelong dreams of becoming a writer, painter, musician, etc. Basically a book about a single woman who is kicking major life butt and doing it on her own. Bonus points if the thing she does is related to writing, for example, a novel or becoming a poet. And please, for the love of my sanity, do not recommend a romance. I love romance with all of my heart, but emotionally cannot handle it at this moment. I also do not read horror, crime, or mysteries. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. 
For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All the single ladies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Because I'm doing the hand motions. I I was going to say, you have to go first now. I'm doing it with both hands, which I don't think is right, but that's okay. All right. So I did not. You didn't specify fiction or nonfiction. I get the feeling you were wanting a novel, but I went with a memoir instead called Spinster by Kate Bullock. The subtitle is Making a Life of One's Own. And this is half memoir, half like sociological narrative nonfiction. And so Kate obviously is a writer. She is single, hence the name of the book. Not her actual name. Kate does not mean single. Um, And she is grappling with this personal experience that so many women share of reaching a certain age, not being married, being husband-free, if you will, and deciding if that's, like, chill. (laughs) Like, do I want to continue doing this? Can I have a life that I love and want and have purposefully and intentionally built without having a partner or a man, specifically, in my space? And so in considering this question for herself personally, she is looking at a lot of women, five specifically, from history, who also grappled with this question, both in their personal lives and in their work. So it's like, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, which is a really famous and like seminal feminist work of short story. Edna St. Vincent Millay, who was a poet, Edith Wharton. Uh, I think that eventually most of the women that she talks about in the book did get married at some point in their life. But it was still a thing that like when they were famous, they were not and were continuing to grapple with this idea of having a complete or full life and whether that means that there has to be an element of domesticity to it. So Kate is, Kate Bullock, the writer, is talking about several writers who all had this like ability to create their own careers. These, you know, they were all very well known in their time. Kate Bullock herself is a very well known writer without any of the like traditional, I'm using scare quotes here, traditional romantic home life. So this is not just one woman who achieves her lifelong dreams of becoming a writer while single, but like six. So a whole bunch in one. There you go. So that's Spinster by Kate Bullock. Yeah, I struggled with this question because the fiction that I could think of all involve eventual romances Mm. after the woman has kicked the butt, but still. (laughs) And then or they're not uplifting, like they're kind of depressing. And I really had a hard time finding something that I thought might fit. So I'm I'm not like 100% positive on my pick for you. It's also nonfiction. It's a memoir. It's called Finding Freedom by Erin French. And it is sort of an emotional roller coaster is how I'm going to phrase this. So Erin French is now a very famous and critically acclaimed chef. Uh, Her restaurant is called The Lost Kitchen. It's in Maine. And it's like fully booked every day forever. (laughs) But she grew up And went through some really intense life circumstances. So she grew up on a farm. Her father was an alcoholic and very emotionally distant. And she was like always hustling for that approval. And then um, she ends up, you know, having a relationship very young that turns out to be very toxic, uh, becomes a single mother, struggles with addiction herself, and like goes through all of these very intense life moments before finally becoming, you know, the chef who everybody is trying to eat at her restaurant. So, you know, 
you're going to go through some real downs on the way to getting to the uplifting hopeful part. And I couldn't tell from the question if, like, that's a thing that you want to experience or not. So, you know, just know that going in. But, you know, I think what's great about a story like French's is that you really do see how a woman who is facing down all of these traumatic experiences and like also really struggling with how to deal with having these kinds of men in her life, like not for the better, then is able to move forward and like become her own fullest self and yeah, become like triumphant and, you know, acclaimed and and fulfill her dream of owning her own restaurant. So like that's that's pretty awesome. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty cool. And I think ultimately uplifting. But again, you have to go through the hard parts to get there. So maybe it will be cathartic for you. Maybe you're like, nope, don't want to do that. Either way, you know, sending you good thoughts for your own downtime and emotional recovery. But again, that is Finding Freedom by Erin French. And I mentioned a bunch of these in the summary, but just to sum up, the content warnings include addiction, domestic abuse, and harm to animals. All right. Our next question is from Charlotte, who says, I've been playing a lot of the video game Ghosts of Tsushima recently, and I'd love some recommendations for books set in Japan to complement it. I like historical fiction, literary fiction, fantasy, sci-fi. I'll pretty much try anything. I have Pachinko on my list. Bonus points for Samurais. That might actually be the show (laughs) title right there. Bonus points for Samurais. Uh, Amanda, what did you pick? I picked... The Sano Ichiro book series. The first book is called Shinju. It's by Laura Jo Rowland. And this is a series of, like, there are no cops. So it's a d- procedural. That's the word I'm looking for. Procedural mystery, murder mysteries, all set in 16th and 17th century. No, 17th and 18th century Japan. And there are 18. <laughs> so there are, like, plenty to get you through if you enjoy the first one. Um, they all center around an investigator. Uh, his name is Shinju. And he is... So in this feudal Japan era, this feudal Japanese era, there were no like official police. You know, there are investigators, there are members of the military, there are people who uh, are samurai who take on some of this law enforcement kind of job. And because his family did a favor for like a very wealthy man, he has been given one of these positions, like kind of much to his chagrin. He's like not into it. He was a historian and like a scholar. And now he's got to be this enforcer not his favorite and so uh, the first case is about a really like beautiful well-known wealthy young girl who is found dead in a river with a common born man like an artist the official decision is that they have committed a ritual double suicide because they loved each other and could not be together because of their class differences but that is not the conclusion that our main character comes to our investigator samurai extraordinaire and with the help of a prison doctor he performs an autopsy on the bodies which is very not allowed in this time because it is considered too western and decides that the two of them were murdered and so he's going to solve this crime but he's told from the jump like from the beginning this is what happened it was obviously a double suicide like we're not investigating this because it's going to involve you getting involved in the lives of these very wealthy, powerful people, including talking to like a lot of women, which also not okay. So we're going to close the books on this. And he's like, ooh, except we're just like not going to actually. And I'm going to continue to find out what actually happened to these people. And so there are 18 more books or 18 books in total like that of him grappling with these power structures and politics and the um, societal norms of feudal Japan. 
all while trying to like actually the discover the truth of what happens to these people. They're fascinating, fascinating series. So that's Shinju by Laura Jo Rowland. I picked a historical fantasy manga that I just read the first volume of and am newly obsessed with. It's so good. It's Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, volume one, by Koyoharu Gotuge, with John Wary, who's the translator, Stan, Adam Grano, Mike Montessa, and John Hunt. And this is... It's so funny to talk about Demon Slayer action fantasy story and be like, it's so cute, but it really is so cute. Uh, The main character, Tanjiro, is he lives in this village. He sells charcoal. He helps, you know, to keep his family running, basically, this big family. And then the opening of the book, he it's like a cold winter day, and he's going to go sell some more charcoal so that they'll have enough money to celebrate this upcoming holiday. And he leaves his family alone. He has to stay overnight because there's a storm. And when he gets back, he finds out that a demon has killed his entire family. It's very sad. Um, his little sister, Nezuko, is the only survivor, but now she's a demon because she got attacked by a demon. And so he has to figure out how to, like, he, he won't kill her, which is what everybody keeps telling him to do. They're like, oh, Oh, she's going to turn on you. She's going to kill other people. You'll be responsible. And he's like, nope, I'm going to save her. I am a cinnamon roll. I love my family. She's all I have left. Like, I will do whatever it takes to save her. And they meet this mysterious fighter who seems to know what's going on and offers them like this small bit of hope where if uh, Tanjiro can train with this master demon slayer, he might be able to reverse this curse. So you get these like great like training montages. You get this beautiful sibling relationship. It's so sweet. And Tanjiro is just like the nicest. He's the nicest boy. He just wants to do what's right for everyone involved. And it's really, oh, I just love it so much. I can't wait to get my hands on the next volumes. And there are like many, like 18, 19, 20. Like it's a very long running manga. I've also been told there's an anime and a movie. So there's lots more there if you like it, which I think you will. And yeah, total, total cinnamon roll main character, also slaying demons. Like, that's a good combination as far as I'm concerned. So, oh yeah, right, quick content warning. So there, obviously, his whole family dies, including his little siblings. So there is harm to children, but it's mostly off screen. So yeah, again, Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba. All right. Our third question is from Jessica, who says, my wife and I just had a baby on Valentine's Day. We are white, Christian, and an LGBT family. We want our daughter to have as much diversity as possible. We have the Little Leaders and Dream Big series, along with plenty of feminist books. We need some picture books about transgender kids, Muslim or other religious children, and children of different races and cultures. What are your favorite picture books for us to add to her library? Okay, I picked Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love, which I bought after my children were far too old for picture books. (laughs) for my own self, (laughs) like a couple of years ago, because I love it so much. I love it. And I don't care. So Julian is a little boy who's riding on the subway with his abuela. And while on the subway, he notices and becomes like very into three women who are dressed as mermaids for some festival or thing they're going to. I don't remember. And he decides when he gets home, he is going to become a mermaid. Like this is the thing that he now loves and wants to do. He does this by like, kind of secretly taking a curtain down and turning it into a tail and like maybe taking a potted fern that his grandmother owns and dumping it out and putting it on his head and maybe like making a giant mess and destroying a bunch of stuff. It's fine. It's fine. And so, you know, he's a little concerned about what Abuela's going to think about this mess that he's made, but is 
Abuela going to like accept me for the mermaid that I am because now this is who I I've seen the truth of who I am on the subway and I am now expressing it outwardly do you get do you get what I'm saying here this is obviously a metaphor this book is a metaphor and it's just lovely and heartwarming there are mermaids the art is very like watercolory and muted and like it has that kind of like underwater sort of feel which is appropriate for the mermaid theme and it's just lovely and everybody needs it whether they are adults or otherwise so that is julian is a mermaid by jessica love will cosign totally amazing uh i also so my picture book pick is both uh a transgender kid and it's a biracial family when aiden became a brother by kyle lukoff and kaylani juanita such a great picture book oh my goodness so many feelings so aiden when he was born everybody thought he was a girl and like he had a girl name and his room looked like a girl's room and he had all these clothes that other girls liked wearing but he didn't like any of it so he realized he was a boy he told his parents and they like you know they did the thing they fixed it but now mom and dad are having another baby and aiden is very concerned that like what if the baby is born and people think it's a girl or a boy, but it's not because he knows what it felt like when people got it wrong and he is afraid of getting it wrong for the baby. And it's just so sweet and touching and also a really interesting way to frame this question of like, yeah, what does it mean to understand at a very young age that you are not what other people are telling you are? And then like, how do you go about dealing with that when you're dealing with other people who like might also be being told that they're not who they are it's it's just so well done it's so well done uh and the art is gorgeous oh my gosh they're so cute there's a cat who like shows up a lot and you get to see aiden you know like having so much fun but also dealing with these big emotional questions and the family is based in part on the illustrator Kilani Juanita's own family. And it's just like, it's really, it's lovely. So again, that's When Aiden Became a Brother by Kyle Lukoff and Kilani Juanita. All right. Our next question is from Laura, who says, could you recommend a fantasy or sci-fi read-alike for The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison? The things I like most about it are the fantasy elements, the fact that the main character is a person in power who leads responsibly because he's genuinely a good, empathetic person, and the way that the protagonist learns to assert and value himself slowly throughout the book. Amanda, what do you pick? I picked the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. The first book is called The Thief. And I'm really recommending like the whole thing, not just the first book. Although the first book by itself is great and a fantastic fantasy heist. Ocean's Eleven-y type thing, except there are only three. So Ocean's Three? I don't know. Anyway, um, but the whole thing is just so good. And it's exactly what you're describing. So the main character's name is Gen, and he is the titular thief for the queen, hence the queen's thief. And in the first book, he is in prison in an enemy territory, like in an enemy kingdom. And the king's magus, magus? I realize I don't think I've ever said that word out loud before. I think it's magus. Thank you. The queen's magus. Or magus. Possibly a hard G. Like the scholar advisor to the king <laughs> takes Gen out of prison in order to help him find and steal an artifact that he needs that's like got magical properties and would help his kingdom become more powerful and blah, blah, blah. You know, the thing that powerful people want. Uh, and so you are you follow this little ragtag group of Gen and this king's advisor and like some guards, people that they take with them on this journey to go find this thing. And most of the book is just like them on horses making fun of each other as they <laughs> like ride along. It's hilarious. 
And then as you get closer and closer to the end and the action starts to pick up and you're realizing that your narrator is totally unreliable, the thief. And then through the various books, he becomes, as a character, more developed. You understand his motivations more. He gains more personal power and political power. And the whole time, you're realizing, like, this is a good person who, like, really wants to do well by the people in his life and the people who he ends up ruling over and the people he loves. And he gets more and more assertive throughout the series. And the thing is, when you meet him, you know this is like a competent thief. This is a competent criminal. (laughs) And then you learn over time throughout the series to get to know him as like a competent ruler, which is an entirely different skill set. And sometimes he finds himself in dire straits because he can't figure out which one to go with. And those are always like really excellent moments. So there's lots of heists, lots of adventure, very character driven fantasy series. So that's the the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. All right. I picked The Unspoken Name by A.K. Larkwood, which is also the first in a series. And this series is ongoing. I believe book two comes out later this year. So if you do not want to start a series that you're going to have to wait for, sorry. But (laughs) the reason I picked this is because I really think it takes all of the boxes you're talking about here. There's fantasy elements, and in particular, the way that the protagonist learns to assert and value himself. That is 100% what is going on in this book with Sorway, our main character. She is a, like, the implication is that she's coming to have, like, an orc creature, and she is a priestess of this, like, dark eldritch god you know Hmm. and her basically her entire life is organized around being the oracle for this god and then at some point she will go in and be sacrificed and never come back out like this she knows that this is what's going to happen and she's like prepared for it and then the day that she is supposed to make this ultimate sacrifice this strange sorcerer shows up and like talks her into coming with him on this adventure And she is so grateful that for a very long time, she doesn't question the fact that, like, this guy is kind of using her for his own ends. She also finds other friends. She, like, goes, there's these crazy adventures, huge magical systems. There's, like, multiple planets. It's an interesting, like, interplanetary, multiple world dimension fantasy situation there's lots of angry gods like there's it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but i really think the feelings that you're looking for are to be found in this book so again that's the unspoken name by a.k larkwood it's the first in the serpent's gate series and it is time for our next sponsor Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, our next question is from April, who says, I've been enjoying getting into some more doorstopper-sized books this year and was hoping you could help me find some. Specifically, I'd love an adult fantasy novel with a female lead, preferably written by a woman, maybe with a little steaminess. I generally really enjoy fantasy, which doesn't operate within the standard Tolkien-esque genre, but has its own twist and interesting world building. I read Cashiel's Dart, and that's almost what I was looking for, but I couldn't get past the questionable content stuff. Some fantasy books I've loved. Not all that were doorstoppers include Broken Earth, The Abhorsen Trilogy, Gideon the Ninth, Lies of Lacamora, and Jonathan Strange. A friend recently got me into Wheel of Time, which is fun, but with a much more male-centric standard fantasy feel. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So I picked A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, which arguably has a male main character, Kel, but there is Delilah, who is a secondary character who I think becomes uh, another main character throughout the series. So I don't know. The writer is a woman. There you go. Uh, this is a fantasy novel. It is not Tolkien-esque, despite taking place in London, which you could argue that most of Tolkien's books do. And so Kel is an Antari, which means he is a magician who has the ability to travel between parallel worlds. Because in this universe, London exists in several different worlds. They all have names. That, they're all named after colors, red, gray, white, and black. Black is a dead world. Nobody goes there. And the red, gray, and white Londons have different shades of magic, hence the title. So in gray London, which is kind of like modern day, what we would think of as contemporary normal London, um, has no magic left that anyone can see. White has some, but it's a very violent place. And then red, where Kel comes from, has a lot of magic, and most of it comes from the Thames that's running through the, the city. And so he works as an ambassador for the royal family, going to these different parallel Londons and communicating, sending messages between the leaders and all of that. But his side hustle is smuggling stuff <laughs> in and out of various Londons to people who like will never have the chance to travel to parallel worlds because they're not magicians, but want artifacts from that era or from those different places. Uh, he smuggles a particular item that gets him into a lot of trouble, which is how he meets our second main character, Delilah, who is a pickpocket thief, uh, aspiring pirate who insists that 
he take her with him on these adventures. And so he, because of this thing that he's stolen or tried to smuggle, gets embroiled in this big political conspiracy, as these fantasy novels tend to go, um, where our well-meaning but kind of plucky but oops, arrogant, ended up in a lot of trouble main character, ends up in a big political plot. That's exactly what happens to Kel and to Delilah. Um, having a, an aspiring pirate complicates things, obviously, and it takes three books for all of this to resolve, and they are all quite chonky, four or five hundred pages. Um, so I think that for the whole trilogy, all three books are out now. Uh, it'll take you quite a while to get through them. So that is A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Yes, fantasy. This is like the fantasy show by accident. Mm-hmm. So my pick for you is Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. First in a series. Hopefully the next one comes out soon. I'm dying to find out what happens next. So this is a fantasy world that is inspired by pre-Columbian America, Polynesia, like extremely non-European inspirations here. Really, really lush. And like, you just want to roll around in it. It's kind of gritty. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. It's dangerous. It's dark. It's so good. I will give content warnings for harm to children and graphic violence. You said no sexual violence. And at this point, anyway, they're really was not that I recall any um, in there, but it is it does get kind of violent in other ways. So there are two, also two main characters in this one. One is Siala, who is a captain of a ship. She is very sort of like drunken disorderly at the start of the book. Like she's literally in the local lockup because she probably like slept with the wrong person or punched the wrong person, TBD. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really remember. Who yeah, not. I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, sailors once in port, like you, you do. <laughs> so she and but she gets sprung from the lockup by this like very weird sort of off-putting noble dude who's like, I want to hire you to carry this one very important passenger to this like place where it's a terrible time of year to go there. But like you are supposed to have, you know, special powers. So like, I know that you can do this. I'll pay you a whole lot of money. And she's like, well, I guess. And her passenger, Serapio, is a character who we have also met earlier. He's a young man now, but you meet him as a child. He has been ritually scarred and blinded as part of this way to make him the avatar of a god. And now he needs to like go to this place by this specific time to do god avatar things. And it is very intense. There are all kinds of political and religious shenanigans. The magic is fascinating. There's warring cultures here as well. Like everybody is part of a different sort of faction who wants to obviously like be in control of the goods, like both magic and resources. Otherwise, there's giant crows. There's like all kinds of amazingness in here. I just it's so good. It's so good, y'all. It's one of my favorite fantasy novels of the last year. And I think you will really dig it because it has all of the things that you want. So again, that's Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. It's the first book in the Between Earth and Sky series. All right. Our next question is from Jamie, who says, about a year ago, I finally told my husband and admitted to myself that I'm bisexual. I hadn't told anybody else because I'm happily married and it's not like I'm looking to date. And then just a couple weeks ago, I found that my best friend of over 30 years is also bisexual. I would love a wreck for a book she and I could read about bi women, preferably not a coming of age kind of book, but about grown women who are who they are, but also bi. Any genre is good. We are both voracious readers. Amanda. 
I picked Kashiel's Dart by <laughs> Jekyll and Carrie, which our previous questioner did not enjoy, but which I love. It is a book of my heart. I will give trigger warnings here for rape, harm to children. It's not a coming of age book necessarily, even though the main character, Fedre, is a child when the book opens. It's not about her like coming out or realizing that she's bisexual or anything like that. It's more like a, oh, I don't even know, like a memoir because it's written in the first person. Like she's writing her memoir. So this is a high fantasy book. It takes place in a land called Terre des Anges, which was founded by angels who bred with humans. And now they've created these people that the book is about. Um, and the uh, motto, I guess, of their kingdom is love as thou wilt. So it's very romantically free, I guess, as a society. Fedre is a young bo- young woman who is born with a mark in one of her eyes that marks her as a child of a specific god who has to do with like darkness and pain. So she's essentially sexually a submissive and a, um, what's the word, masochist. Uh, and so she's sold into indentured servitude as a child to one of the houses that's going to train her on how to be a sex worker, essentially. She is purchased by a man named Anafiel, who is a nobleman, and he wants to take her and her, you know, ability to withstand a lot of pain, which is very specific to her. She's like the only one born in generations who has been identified as being this thing, this kind of person. So he trains her to be a spy, to use her ability as a masochist, which people high in power are like very interested in getting their hands on to listen while she is doing this work. So she's trained to be a sex worker, also a spy. She collects information while she's out in the world. And in doing this work for this man, she earns her freedom. So that's the kind of setup or the conceit of the book. Um, And so she gets involved, obviously, as all the other books I've talked about (laughs) in this episode, in a lot of political intrigue because of her job and because she is very wanted by a lot of people in this kingdom, a lot of really powerful people. She gets embroiled in some political plots, and along the way, she makes a villain, or not makes a villain, makes an enemy, a very high-powered enemy, a woman who, there's a term for it, but I can't remember it in romance. It's like a trope, like an an enemy who you also were deeply, deeply in love with. I don't remember what the, the term is, but they love each other very dearly, hate each other quite a bit, and are on opposite ends of political goals. So the woman that she loves is Machiavellian, like... Probably a sociopath has very little uh, regard for anyone around her except for Fedre and her brother and the people that she wants to um, put into power. So it's like the, this big political machine. So it's it's got that kind of Game of Thrones, like there are houses, there's a lot of politics, um, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of sex <laughs> in the book, but it's not as... Mm, misogynistic as game of thrones please don't come for me i've read game of thrones it's fine i liked it it's fine i'm not saying that you should not read it but it's not as hard to get through i'll put it that way um as game of thrones but yeah it's not about her like coming out or anything it's just accept it it's not even made a thing of right that she's bisexual it's not i don't even know that it's like pointed out or mentioned or anything it's just the plot so that's kashiel's dart by jacqueline carey I picked a mystery for you that I just read because everybody's been recommending it to me for forever. And I was like, maybe I can read mystery now. Uh, And I I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, although it goes to some dark places, as you might expect from mystery. So it's The Last Place You Look by Kristen Lepianka, which is the first in the Roxanne Weary series. And Roxanne is a like classic noir P.I. 
like she's drinking too much. Her father has recently died. He was a cop. She has a lot of unresolved baggage about that. And she's making like bad life choices and also needs money because she does not have any clients. And so this woman comes into her office one day whose brother is on death row. Uh, They are a black family and he is from like also there's class issues from the wrong side of the tracks. And like a long time ago, 15 years ago, he was convicted of the murder of these two of the parents of the girl that he was dating. And she's been missing and they assume that she's also dead. And so he's been convicted of all of these crimes, and he is on death row. He's always maintained that he's innocent, and now his execution is coming up. And his sister, who has never stopped believing in his innocence, is, like, trying anything she can think of to get him off of death row. So she hires Roxanne to look at the case because she's convinced that she saw his old girlfriend, who he was supposed to have killed, at a gas station, like, a week ago. So... Roxanne takes this case that she feels like is probably hopeless. It's a cold case like this. Of course, his sister believes he's innocent. Of course, she's going to see, you know, what she wants to believe and think that there's still hope. But like Roxanne is like feels a little bit bad about taking the money, but takes the case anyway because she really needs to. And as she starts looking into it, she finds these other crimes that have sort of been dismissed, but that seem very similar to what happened to this missing girl all these all these years ago that have continued happening and could not have been done by the brother. But then there's other evidence. There's like so many red herrings, y'all. Like, obviously, like she's like, Mm. did he do it? Did he not do it? Like, I don't know. Goes back and forth. In the meantime, she is sleeping with both her father's former partner. Whoa. And I mean, he, he's like age appropriate. Uh, oh, okay. For the <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, he's older than her, but not like that much older. And then also her married, like on again, off again friend. Sort of friend, oh. not friend. Yeah, it's it's complicated. And she, so this, and so she's like sleeping with both a man and a woman, making very poor life choices and struggling through this case. And she obviously emerges triumphant because that's what happens. But it's a real journey, y'all. And it is, it is absolutely like there's no discussion of like, you know, actually, there's a really sweet moment where she's talking to a teenage girl who is basically coming out to her and she's like you're gonna be fine like there's a really lovely moment of cross-generational support around queerness and yeah but it's and then it's also like this very page turnery noir mystery so if that's a thing that you two will be into i recommend it um i will give a bunch of content warnings uh violence against women and minors including rape kidnapping and imprisonment it is there's some rough scenes in here y'all just just fyi Hmm. all right our next question is from samantha and is very short I want to find a fantasy book with main characters that are not human, like Wings of Fire. I also love adventure and stuff. <laughs> End of question. I love this so much. Um, okay, so I picked The Deep by Rivers Solomon and some other people, David, uh, David Diggs, William Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes. And this comes with a trigger warning for slavery. It is brief, but brutal. Like, it's only 150 pages or so, but it is, there's a lot going on here. So in this world, pregnant women who were kidnapped and were being like taken across the Atlantic. What's that? The Atlantic Pass, the Mid Atlantic Passage, and were discovered to be pregnant while on board the slave ships and thrown overboard. Died in the ocean, but the children that they were carrying were bur- like birthed themselves and have become mermaids and have created this entire society deep, deep, deep uh, in the ocean 
based around like a, a communal living and community care. And they have a uh, role in their society that they call the historian. And the historian is responsible for carrying their collective memories so that they can remember where they came from, remember the, you know, the real horror around their collective birth as a as a people as a society as a nation as a mermaid whatever clan i guess but no one else remembers so one person is responsible for carrying all that everyone else gets to conveniently forget it uh, except for like once every couple of years they have a big ceremony where everyone comes together the historian imparts the memories upon them for a moment so that they can feel it and then takes them back the historian is the main character her name is yatu and she is not feeling it (laughs) like she is having a really hard time carrying all of these memories it's really destroying her like she starts losing time she forgets to eat she puts herself in dangerous situations not necessarily on purpose but not not on purpose like she finds herself swimming with sharks because she both forgot where she was and what time it was she got lost in a memory but also because she's just done like cannot do this anymore and so when the ceremony rolls around she bails like she runs away she dumps the memories into her fellow mer people and then flees And she takes refuge in a pool, like in a tidal pool, far, 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 far away, and then has to kind of decide what to do from there. Like she can see the effects on her decisions because she can tell that like storms that are brewing are are happening because of what she's done and the powers that these people have um, over the water and the weather and all that. And so she has to decide if she's going to go back and take the memories back or if she's going to, you know, stay away forever. And like, what what responsibility do we have as individuals to carry those kinds of memories? What responsibility do we have as a community to carry those kinds of memories? Um, all of that. So it's like, a, it's heavy. This is a heavy book. It's about a really, really heavy subject. But nobody's human, unless you consider mer people to be partially human. You know, the taxonomy of mythological creatures <laughs> is really up for debate here. Um, but the adventure, you know, you said you love adventures and things. And uh, the adventure that she's going on is more emotional than literal right like it's not a heist she's not like going to save a a princess in a tower or whatever but she is working to save her community but also herself like she's not willing to sacrifice herself for the well-being of all of these other mer people who don't understand because they don't have to because they're not being asked to so it's more of an emotional adventure do with that what you will so that's the deep by river solomon so good Mm y'all so good so heavy though but so good I mean, it should be heavy. There's not like, right. a reason it shouldn't be. So I picked Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton, which is narrated by a crow and also a cow and a polar bear and some dogs and cats and sparrows. Basically, it's narrated by animals. And it is an apocalypse story told from the perspective of the animals who are like, what is going on <laughs> mm-hmm. with these humans? Like, what is happening? So our mainest main character, ST, is a domesticated crow. His owner's name is Big Jim. He lives in Seattle. He's like always, you know, yelling at the wild crows outside because he thinks they're idiots. He loves Cheetos. He's like been trained to like bring Big Jim beer and like do other, you know, odd tricks. And like ST is very into people culture, like likes to watch TV and like is super into all things human. So he's like not sad about being a domesticated crow. But then, you know, something weird happens. One of Big Jim's eyeballs falls out of his head. Like, things are going dramatically wrong. And ST has to figure out, like, what is happening? And how do I save my human? And ends up going on this gigantic adventure. That involves lots of other animals as well. 
So I picked it because there's definitely adventure and stuff. It is entirely in human narrators. And yeah, it's super fun. It's not quite like the fantasy style that Wings of Fire is, right? Like this is a sort of a take on a real world, but like plus like, you know, zombie apocalypse basically. Um, but no magic exactly. But I think you'll still really enjoy this like what are these crazy humans and like what are they up to perspective that the animal narrators have. It's really funny. It is kind of violent and dark. Good times. Lots of adventure. So again, Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. I think about that book every time I put my dog in his crate. <laughs> like I put him in his crate and then I have a moment of what if the zombie apocalypse happens and my dog is stuck in his crate? Right. <laughs> It's irrational. I don't make choices based on it, but the thought is there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets in your head. It gets in your head. All right. Well, that is our show. Thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thanks to you all for listening. If you would like more recommendations, you can have those. Check out bookriot.com. Uh, you can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have lots of them. If you are so inclined, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate seeing this come in, and it does help other folks to find the show. Thanks to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson, mostly talking about my dog and the gym. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. Or you can find me on Instagram, where I am mostly, as I am Jen IRL. And that's our show. We will talk to you next time. 